inflation was extraordinarily high, terribly high interest rates. The month we got married, 1981, for our mortgage were 18%, the highest in the history of the U.S., assumed we'd never own a home at 18% mortgages. These problems we have faced before and we will face again. And I think the more that we can remember that, the easier it is. Finding comfort in the unknown is the goal, not waiting to know. I'm waiting till I'm comfortable because of the circumstances. You need to get comfortable with the circumstances. Welcome everybody to Saving Capitalism. And today I have a very special guest. Now, those of, that are my podcast listeners, uh, I've heard him a, a few times on the podcast. And obviously, if you follow social, you will definitely see him on my social because uh, as I like to say, he's my business partner, my best friend, but most importantly, he's my dad. And so uh, this is a obviously very, very special guest for me. Every time he comes on, everybody loves it. And this is the first time on our new platform, the new Saving Capitalism brand, which is awesome because I think this is actually an extraordinarily relevant topic um, when we're looking at the world today, business, economics, and uh, looking at it and uh, taking a wider angle and understanding it. So um, with that, Dad, we got a lot to talk about. And uh, it's kind of fun because it's just the stuff we talk about normally. <laughs> so it's not like anything different. But uh, to get started here, um, why don't you give people uh, some background? And then from there, we can uh, kind of dive into uh, more of the stuff. So for people that are new to the yeah. podcast, everything, why don't you give them some background? We can talk about that and then dive in. All right. Thanks, AJ. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I, we have talked about a number of uh, these issues and items, and you and I obviously often discuss things. But as far as my background goes, I grew up in a little uh, hick town in south-central Idaho um, in uh, extreme poverty. Um, my father passed away when I was 10 years old. My mother raised uh, the four of us, me and my sister and two brothers, um, by herself. And so we went from, you know, poverty to more poverty <laughs> at that time. Um, my uh, dad was 33 years old when he passed away. And then we had a situation with a tiny home that didn't have indoor heat, didn't have indoor plumbing, and water, so uh, we had uh, an outhouse. And um, so when I was around 10 years old, we got indoor plumbing. And so my older brother and sister were 14 and 15 at that time. My younger brother's uh, eight when we finally got that. And around that same time, got some uh, indoor heat. So we didn't have a log stove to keep keep warm by. And um, But we had the same place. We had uh, limited food and resources. Um, because we were so poor, and so we did things like poach deer uh, off-season. We'd hunt deer during the season and poach them off-season for food. It wasn't for yeah. to get a great uh, deer rack yeah. for yeah. for mounting. It was uh, for food and uh, things like that. So we had a garden, and um, we, we uh, on the rare occasions that uh, my mother would be able to buy a gallon of milk me and my brothers the first one to it would start gulping it and so if you didn't get a some of it real quick it was going to be gone because we didn't get it that often and uh, so when we did it was like a big treat and uh, but that was kind of life i grew up in and and then uh, over time 
Um, I was the first one in our family to ever go to college. And I sought uh, ways to change the life that was uh, where, where I'd come from and what I'd been in. And so that's what I spent the rest of my uh, lifetime doing and uh, been extremely blessed and fortunate to have things go where they've gone. And, um, you know, you started early on as, you know, obviously you had me and my sister and trying to get us out of those circumstances and um, not not have us be raised like you did. And so you started selling insurance door to door. And uh, that's uh, how you got control of your situation, which was taking an alternative route than most people, as opposed to just getting a job, you relied heavily on you and your work. And you said, okay, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do the work and then I'm going to get paid in return for it. Now, obviously that's, uh, can be perceived too as riskier though, but it was a way that you could do it, do it quick and you could work hard to make sure that we didn't ever have need or want. And um, that was as a result of uh, somebody that had mentioned to you when you were living in Texas, right? Told you you should get into insurance. And uh, so then you followed their footsteps because you were serving a mission for the church in Texas. And they told you that, so you came home and married my mother, and uh, then you started going door to door, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting at that time because uh, when we got married in 1981, uh, the inflation was extraordinarily high. It was just terribly high interest rates. The month we got married, 1981, for our mortgage were 18%, uh, highest in the history of the U.S., and um, and uh, unemployment was extremely high. So it wasn't that there were lots of job opportunities, so I wanted to do something that I could have some control over by virtue of working harder, working more. And um, and then I'd been referred to uh, an agency uh, from a friend in, in Texas while I was down there for a couple of years, and he helped me get started. And uh, and that's that's how I went about it. And we uh, when we first got married, we assumed we'd never own a home at 18% mortgages, interest rates, but uh, over the next several years, uh, as interest started coming down, we were able to get a home. Um, what, what level were the interest rates going down when you thought, oh, we can afford it now, or we could maybe make this work? Well, I think we were probably mid-teens, so yeah. 14, 15%, and we were so excited, and then- uh, Because we, it wasn't, it didn't peak out at 18, right? It uh, was, that was about the peak. Was yeah. that the peak? Okay. Mm -hmm. For mortgage yeah. rates. Yes, yep. for mortgage rates, yep. yeah. And and at the time, too, it was affected things so much. I had some uh, older friends uh, that I knew at that time, uh, gentlemen, and they were pooling their money because if they could get, I think it was $100,000 and put it in a CD at a local bank, they could get 12% interest uh, from a bank oh, CD. Thanks. And so a lot of them were doing that uh, to get returns. And so... You know, whether you were buying a car and financing it or whatever the case was, the interest was extremely high. And why was that? Why was that at the time? Because, you know, I think a lot of people, including me, we read the history books, we try to understand it, everything. But, you know, for our generation, 
that, you know, didn't live through it, um, which uh, me being holding on to mom's neck as she walked around <laughs> doesn't count living through it. So um, it, you know, what what brought what brought on these circumstances? Right. And then what you mentioned, some of these effects and there's second, third, fourth order effects of high interest rates right. and the policies that are being put into place. So take us back then and talk about why that was happening and then what it meant for on the ground. We talked about housing, things like that. But, you know, what was the the feel? What was happening in America? What what was you know, what was going on then? Because that's the closest parallel we have to today. Yeah. It was um, kind of crazy times if you're a young person trying to get started like we were because you couldn't envision it being much better. High, high unemployment. Inflation was really high, and I think the government used the high interest rates to try and get inflation under control. And as a result, obviously, uh, it took some time. Uh, Ronald Reagan became president in the early 80s. And um, and he kind of walked into the high inflation times. And so they were just trying to get things under control. And uh, that was how they did it. And um, and it took a so while. That inflation rate was also with the high interest rate. Yes. So mm -hmm. you had extremely high inflation, which was higher than it is today. Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, you had inflation or interest rates that were multiple times higher than they are today, um, all at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting, too, obviously having that perspective and living through that at that real important time as a new married couple was interesting because now this last this year, earlier this year, as interest rates for mortgage peaked out at around 8 percent, you know, the market, the housing market shut down. Yeah. I have a hard time not laughing a little bit. Yeah. Because, you know, back then it was like, okay, mortgages were 18% when we got married and took years to come down. In fact, our mindset was so different because once we did get into a home, we did everything we could with extra money to pay down the mortgage because the interest amount was so much if you kept it for a 30-year mortgage. And we kept doing that, paying down with the goal of, okay, by the time we're 40, before we're 40, we're going to have it paid off which we did. But the interesting thing was by that time, interest rates were down to single digit. Yeah. So it's just a matter of timing of our cycle in life with what happened in the U.S. because we happened to be a young married couple and need to get into housing, start having family. Uh, but you and that's also the way yeah. you today you have a huge generation millennials who mm -hmm. now are getting married yes. and they're trying to buy houses. So mm -hmm. it's really relevant to today because yes. what you're going through, I think, you know, you probably have half of the listeners yeah. that are like, I'm in that boat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm either married, I'm just having kids or I'm not, but I need to, I want to get a house. I want to get into it. And they're all sitting here like, how can we afford this? Yeah. Now, it's true that housing costs are more today, like on a, on an income to housing cost than they were back then. And so even though interest rates weren't double, the housing costs are higher. But still, what were the houses that you were looking at like? So when, because this is one of the big things I think people miss yeah. when they compare things that, okay, you're, the interest rate may have been three times what it is today, but housing costs are twice as much to the income maybe that I have. But Please talk about the average home and what you guys were looking at or thinking that you would buy or most people could afford. Yeah, it's changed dramatically. When our first house we had, when you lived in the first year or two, uh, was um, a small home with a basement. Uh, 
and um, to have space to literally live, we had a basement, and so the square footage was a fraction of what homes are today, and it was a much older home. So it's one of those things that uh, homes today are much larger. They have garages. Um, you know, we didn't have that kind of a thing, and um, so it, it it is a different world. Um, just and in family sizes, many of them were larger back then. People sometimes had more children than they do now, so you lived in smaller homes with larger families. Yeah, lots of times, but it was that was the norm when you were getting started. No grant or count at all. There you no, 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 nothing you fancy. You didn't get a steamer in your shower. No, no, no okay. none of the fancy <laughs> stuff. It was very old fashioned. You're just glad if you had a shower. Yeah, and so. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, there is a dramatic shift and change in the expectations and what people are looking for uh, that are either first homes or. So what did you guys do to buy a first home? So all these people are listening to the thing. You know, you mentioned that you thought, geez, we may never own a home. Mm -hmm. And then when it got to 14 percent interest, it was like, okay, let's, let's do that. So were you saving up money from your sales or and just trying to stash away? to get enough money to where you could put down. And then like you mentioned before, you know, or just pay it off, right? <laughs> Don't even have blinds in the house, nothing else like that, just so we could pay it off. Um, so what were, was that a goal of yours or was it literally like, hey, if, you know, we may not do this, like what was your mentality at that time? Because I can imagine that was a really scary thing mm-hmm. to be purchasing in a house during that time. And the reason I think that is because I that's what I think about today. And for people, especially today, they're worried. Yeah. Is the housing prices going to go down, right? Or am I going to buy it and then interest rates are going to go down and that was a bad decision. And then housing price, like people are nervous because they haven't experienced this time. And that, that's also true with just general investing and everything in assets. Yeah. So what were you guys, how were you guys trying to get ready and what were you thinking about? We looked at it at the time of this is the long-term picture, double-digit um, rate increases or rates, interest rates. So we're sitting here going, all right, well, it's our future. If we're going to get in the house, we've got to get in the house. Now, uh, housing had softened prices, obviously, as interest rates peaked at 18%. There was a softening of the price for that time. But at some point, you just had to say, okay, if we're going to get one, we, we've got to get into what. So it just came down a little bit. We saved money to do that. And uh, we bought an affordable house and we upgraded from there after a few years. And so over time, we as we moved and different things with my career and the insurance and stuff, we moved to Northern Idaho and uh, same thing. We bought a home up there, sold our home here, on and on. So it just, uh, you look back though now and you say, well, do you wanna pay higher prices? Or higher interest rate. Now, at some point, there's a balance there because um, of what you know. I look at the home we're still in since you know you were young here in the uh, Boise area, and your youngest brother was. We moved into it, and a year later was born, and you know we, we paid 168 thousand for it. Now it's worth you know 1.2 million or whatever, and um, we never thought that. Yeah. You never right. could imagine that. And at the time, we're going okay. This is kind of expensive. I hope we can do it and well, uh, even when you know me and tesla were first married for our local area if a house came up that was worth a million dollars everybody would go look mm-hmm. like it, like 
we would go drive to see, see it. Yeah. <laughs> a house that's worth a million dollars. Like, we got to go check this out. Maybe they'll let us walk through it, right? Which at the time, nobody ever would. A yeah. house that expensive, it was like, you had to get like pre-qualified <laughs> to even go in and see it or whatnot. But even then, in, in you know our lifetime, that was for our area. We don't live in Southern California. Yeah. We live in Boise, <laughs> yeah. Idaho, everybody. But um, even that for us, it was that was a shocking thing to even think about. Now it's the norm. Now it's norm. Yeah, norm of million plus prices for nice homes, but and that's the whole thing. Over time, you you just have to. I was talking about a year and a half ago with somebody that was wanting to get in their first house, and housing prices were soaring, but interest was three four percent, and they're going, man, should I do it now? And I said, well, here's the trade off. You pay a little higher in prices, but you lock into a thirty year mortgage at three and a half four percent, and so if uh, if prices come down, it's probably because interest rates go up and then you pay more in interest. So there's never uh, a perfect time in life that you can yeah. just decide and do it going, oh, at this time, because the economy changes, interest changes, inflation changes. So somewhere along the line, you just have to do it because it's a long-term thing and do something that's affordable that you can make work for you. Well, and I think that's a general thesis that we have overall, even with our investing, things like that, is we don't, we can't control the short term. And, you know, you went into the world at that period of time. And then, uh, interesting enough, that when I was having kids um, and buying our first house and everything, it was into the Great Recession. So I think we both were shaped by these times of economic turmoil when, not when we were kids, but when those things actually mattered. Like we, you have a job, I gotta go to school, I got kids to feed, I gotta buy this house, I gotta, right? All of that kind of stuff. And that really shaped, I think, a lot of our investing thesis and where it's like, we don't control short-term markets right. and that's okay. But in the long-term, like you're saying, right? We realize that the markets will figure it out and so you got to make sure that you don't die in the short term so you don't do dumb things. We were very uh, against consumer debt and bad debt products and everything prior to 2008. So lots of cash on hand, which that was something you taught me. And even when I was trying to go out and buy deals that didn't make sense on a cash flow basis and people were doing these crazy things, right? You were like, well, hold on here, let's look at this and helped me walk through it where others didn't have maybe that guidance and they got stuck buying properties that didn't have cash flow, didn't have, and they were basically hoping and praying. And then that obviously turned really, really south on them. Instead, we focused on uh, long-term debt and assets that would cash flow, storage, which is what you showed me with Hit Road, mm -hmm. and walked through PLs, which made sense because it was like, yeah, I get this as cash flow because my my background and basis was off of understanding from you and insurance and sales where everything was cash. Mm -hmm. There were no hard assets. It was like we sold, we got paid, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we turned and we didn't have debt because it was high cash flow and things like that. And so then when we looked at those properties, you know, not being real estate people, right? Not, that wasn't what we did. We didn't say, oh, we're making millions because of appreciation and everything. Uh, it didn't make much sense. And the storage facilities did. And you could show me, look, this cash flows, which then didn't make sense to me. Why are people buying properties that don't cash flow? But then you got these storage facilities here. We can buy it like nine caps. 
they cash flowed great. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, it goes to show, though, in the short term, markets do weird things. And uh, I think we, a lot of people, we are so sucked into this point in life right now. This is either the way it is or and we get very extreme emotions, right? All of us do. I'll never buy a house. We're never going to do this. This will never like and but you pull back out a little and realize that, hold on here. Not only is that not true, but this is a normal functioning part that happens. But I think that's really hard, especially I mean, it's it's still hard, I think, for all of us, even today, even when you have that perspective. Um, and how, how do you keep that perspective? Yeah. How, how do you do that? I think uh, there's a key thing that I've always tried to follow, and uh, that is whether it was buying a home or buying storage, getting into the, the, that market, was my motto was just don't do a bad deal. And I remember prior to 2008, um, I was approached with number by that time. I had four storage facilities and we're looking, bought land and had uh, approval to develop one, which eventually we did. But it was interesting that I had these deals coming to me and I was going, ah, this doesn't make sense. So I'd do the numbers and stuff. And what was happening at that time was people were buying them on the expectations of things just getting better all the time. And uh, my big pet peeve is performance that real estate people do. Well, they never do a performa that it might go down. No. It's always a performa that's going to be better than it is today. So I always said performas are not the way to do it. You do it based on what things are doing at current. And then by doing that, whether it's, uh, again, getting a home and not doing a bad deal, with uh, even though you can't control and you don't know what the short term is, if you don't do a bad deal long term, even if the economy drops or interest rates go up, you, you'll come out okay. Yeah. Now, if it does better than expected or like a performer might project, then you do real good. Yes. But I always say I don't want to buy it on what the I'm going to do in the future and pay them for what I'm going to do. Yes. Because that doesn't make sense. I want to pay them for what they've done already based on current. And so uh, real estate people, our agents love to sell you on a performance. They love it. And, and the thing is, I always ask, well, what happens if it goes down and doesn't do this good? Could, you, could we bet, buy it based yeah. on that performance? Well, no, they'll never do that. And so, uh, but it could happen. Yeah. So not buying a bad deal, not doing a bad deal. And then the other thing that coming from, like you talked about, insurance and no assets, really, just cash, that I learned in storage and real estate was the tax advantages are significant relative to an all-cash business that you have little or no tax advantages. So all of a sudden, when I factor that in compared to an all-cash business, there's some real advantages or a mix of it. I was doing both at the time. And then that's been a, a great advantage. And over time, Congress changes those. The government changes those rules, but they, they've never been bad. They go sometimes good to really good and then go back to being good. But they are favorable to encourage um, people like us and your, your, your investors to get into it. So they'll put their money into it. The government's got to provide incentives to do that versus a cash business that you may have a little money to put into. So not doing a bad deal is important. 
uh, looking at the tax advantages and planning more long-term, not short-term. You know, it's interesting because this is conversations we obviously have with investors. And one of the things that I found was on development sites too, I had a lot of people that were asking us and saying, hold on here, why are you, why are we using all our money to buy this in cash, this land? When if you put debt on it and just used our money for a down payment, right, we were going to get, we get way higher returns and better because we're putting less into it. And I, and I said, I, I told them, I mean, that makes sense, right? Um, if things go right. And if you look at what had happened in that time, you know, we have our 20 acre development that we're doing uh, close to where we live and we paid for it all in cash and the government issues, the uh, COVID, everything else like that, we, we, we've now been drawn out a year and a half longer than we thought we would moving into next year because of everything that's been going on. But we're fine. It doesn't matter. The price of the land's gone up. We have equity in the deal, right? It's not necessarily what we wanted to happen, but we can't control everything, right? And if we would have had debt on that, that would not be true. But we would maybe even be selling in a fire sale because there may have been contingents on you have to build in this time, you have to do right all that. And so it's when it's not cash flowing, when you do anything, when it's gambled on that pro forma, right? We don't want to do that. And I would much rather have us and our investors' money in cash and safe. In fact, not only safe, but growing. The land is worth substantially more than when we even bought it because of the changes that we made. But then we're not risking those short-term things, which we don't control. And those short-term things uh, not only may happen, they will. The only question is, is your short-term in the good time versus not? So I think it's an important lesson for people, and uh, one maybe that more people are now waking up to, that over the last 10 years, uh, it's easy when everything goes up. Of course you can buy it at a pro forma because everything always goes up until it doesn't. Yeah, that's a good point. And that kind of happened early on when we got into small storages in the early 2000. I got uh, bought some land, 10 acres. Um, you know, I think it was about $175,000. And all of a sudden, it was Mom's one horse of, pasture. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. For the horses. <laughs> the horses, yep. yeah. And uh, so they had expensive ground. I yep. thought it was crazy <laughs> at the time. And then we went out and got it approved, went through the process with the city, hired somebody to do all that, uh, went through, got it rezoned, everything. It was, you know, a year and a half nightmare, like usual. And I said, in a lot of meetings at the city and all that kind of stuff, we got it approved. By the time I got it approved, I said, okay, this is drawn out too long. I'm not going to build now. Well, you fast forward, you know, 10 years later, when we or more in it, Max, it's almost 20 yeah. years later, excuse yeah. me, we finally decided to build on that land. Well, it was already zoned. We had, it was now worth a million dollars, the yep. dirt, um, and the city had grown uh, by the time we did that triple yep. of what, when we got it, all that stuff. So at the end, the population boomed, all those things, we couldn't have got it zoned that at the time uh, we decided to build, but it was from the past. We built it, and it was a rock star. Yeah. But I paid cash for that land, so didn't have to worry about it. I could sit yes. on it and went out and started buying smaller facilities. So you look back at those kind of things and go, okay, that was the way to do it because I wasn't paying debt on that land and those yeah. kind of things, interest. So it, it worked out really good, but at the time, we'd have never known yeah. it would have. So and, and, and that's the thing. I, you know, I, 
often tell people in real estate, time can either be your best friend or your worst. Mm -hmm. And we make that choice. We decide whether time will be our best friend or our worst enemy, right? And so it's always better to just make sure that that's your best friend. Well, now, I want to talk about here, first of all, a little bit about what overall uh, capitalism means to you and what, you know, how, because your story is so unique because of your extreme circumstances and how you were able to pull yourself out of it. And so when you think about, you know, where we are today versus where we were then um, and either the dangers and, you know, opportunities and what that means to people that, you know, they didn't grow up back in there. In fact, for the most part, they've been through really good times. Now, people say, how can you say really good times? We went through COVID. And it's like, you went through COVID, but that meant you stayed home and watched Netflix and the government sent checks and all our incomes were okay. So yes, it was a hard time. I get it. Yes, people were dying. I'm not saying that it wasn't hard, but it was nothing like it, we didn't have the overall effects because the government didn't get involved back then like it did today. So there weren't these safety nets. Mm-hmm. When they had hard times, people really suffered. There was no guaranteeing paychecks or businesses or anything else like that, right? And when the economy shut down, it was devastating, right? Um, and today, we've been buffered a lot from the effects of bad market cycles Mm -hmm. that a lot of us don't even really realize or see a relationship to the fact where, oh, the economy doesn't have to run, but we're still okay. Mm -hmm. Um, We're shielded. The government shielded us very much from a a lot of the effects that didn't used to happen. And so your perspective on today, starting today, talk a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting. I grew up in time in the 60s and 70s where there had um, a, there was a lot of political tor- turmoil with the Vietnam War, um, and then the mid '70s, uh, you know, Richard Nixon and the Watergate scam and all the things that happened with that, um, and then it was high inflation when early on when I was uh, a driver's license was able to drive. Uh, I remember sitting in lines at gas stations waiting to get gas because of shortages and those kind of things. And um, you're right, the government didn't step in. There weren't the broad range of social programs they are today, or like, as we found out with COVID, the government poured trillions of dollars into things for subsidized uh, housing for people for their rent and uh, extra expansion of uh, food stamps, food supply, um, on and on and on and on, tax breaks, everything else. So they step into things like that now in a much, much, much bigger way than it was the case back then. So as a result, um, in bad times, it was very devastating, particularly people that were on the low end of the economy and stuff like I was and the poor people, because when it did well, we didn't necessarily benefit hugely from it, but there were at least jobs and we we could work. And and so, it was a different growing up between the political turmoils, the Vietnam War, the high inflations, the shortage and gas, all those kind of things. And then by the time finally, you know, um, I went to college and we got married and then mortgages were 18 percent. Now, over time, there's been more and more government injection and involvement than there was then. So my perspective of 
of uh, kind of that um, government involvement and free enterprise, if you will, is, is been quite different. And um, I sometimes see why they do things, but sometimes I think it's very much an overstep. But at the end of the day, you know, we're fortunate to be here in this uh, great country we're in. There's, yeah, it's not perfect and a lot of things, you know, we could do better, especially in hindsight. But at the end of the day, the other thing that's changed too from when I was young, in the late 70s, uh, income taxes were the highest they had been pretty much in our country's history. They were extremely high income taxes in the early 80s. Uh, Ronald Reagan stuff, they started cutting those things to provide incentive to people to uh, be able to make more money and all those kind of things. As a result, the government's taken on more debt over the years, but we're, you know, um, at reasonable income tax levels. But also since the early 80s, uh, America's population has doubled. So those things have, have changed dramatically. And then uh, where it used to be in the 70s, the auto industry and was manufacturing was the dominant. And a high percentage of all jobs were tied to them in one way or the other through different industries that supported them. Well, and uh, that's where a lot of the population was. Well, that's dramatically changed. Now the population's in the South and the West. People moving here constantly, they're growing, whereas those states in the Central North and the Northeast are shrinking in population. And so it's been a change in people's view, their political views, where work is. The auto manufacturers started moving in the 80s to the South to a uh, large part to keep from having unions uh, control their industry. And, um, and then the West, like Idaho and other states have been discovered and people from California are moving here like crazy. I was just reading articles, Idaho continually in the top five and 10 on different things from ideal place to use to housing to states are moving from. And we just had the uh, one of the highest income jumps as a percent in the top five of that in the U.S. So those kind of things are changing our world uh, since I was a teenager yeah. and a kid. And people are much more mobile. Oh, so much more mobile. I mean, you think about it. In the 90s when video cameras started coming out with tapes yeah. in them and then the Internet started developing. In 1997, the Internet was really coming around and that's what allowed me to boom in my uh, employee benefit business. We grew up like crazy because we could play like a big boy now because of the internet. The de lockdown. De uh, the democratization of technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah the big boys only had it then. Right. The internet allowed software SaaS things to come down yeah. and institute, and that was revolutionary. Yeah. And that was something that we took from there and pulled into the storage mm -hmm. world. Exactly. And it created a system where people then, of course, could run businesses completely, I mean, from their phone. And now all of a sudden you could manage properties from everywhere. And so it it is interesting, too, that in today's world, your ability to start a company or a business, to me, it's, it's, it's so much easier because of a few reasons. Like, 
first of all, there was no real way. When you talk about like venture capital, things like that's a new thing. Yeah. That's not really a big thing. And people didn't do that. And then if you wanted to start a business, that meant you had to have like physical locations. Yeah. You had to have actual product. The startup cost in general were really high. Mm -hmm. And then there was no, you had to employ people to do everything. Things that software does today, right? So your startup cost and then your ability to grow those businesses were very much uh, strapped, hinged, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And today it seems like your ability to compete in most industries and markets has really been fragmented mm -hmm. and brought down. Well, it's interesting because a uh, good point you make there, what I um, took the internet in 1996, 97 with our uh, health insurance business and quickly discovered what a huge advantage that could do for us that again the big boys were lonely ones could offer some of those services and things and it, it boomed now as you mentioned the storage business what we've done with that as an industry and individually have really caused it to take off and because of things like covid and other things you know people expect to use on their phone to do things. And that was already coming about and COVID expedited that stuff and pay for things and find things. And so, you know, the iPhone's been around whatever, 12, 13 years now and not that long. And no. that's just uh, part of our lives. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, it's, I, I don't know if I know a person that doesn't have some type yeah. of uh, smartphone. smartphone yeah. and it just doesn't exist, which you could imagine, you know, 12 years ago and so as a result uh, you have to move along with technology and take advantage of it to benefit your customers to grow your business to uh, limit or restrict costs and frankly to be able to make more money and make it more valuable through those kind of tools and I think we've done a good job with that yeah I once heard an owner that was like talking about uh, all of this new technology stuff everything and he's like you know what that's just not for me. That's not how I want to run my business, right? Um, and I thought that was interesting because I was like, your business isn't really about what you want. It's about what your customers want. And you're saying that I don't care what my customers want. They're going to get what I give them and how I give it mm -hmm. to them, where the customers are like, that's not how I want to buy. That's not how I want to consume. That's not want to do anything. And that was such an interesting perspective to me where it was like, but you build a business to service the customers. And uh, I think a lot of times people are, first of all, they don't like change. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that they think because this is working today, it means it will work tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Now, innovation and, and going in and trying new things, there is a cost to it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that it's going to work, right? But at the same time, too, what, by the way, when I'm talking innovation, I'm not talking about starting Google. We're not yeah. talking about, like, no. we, we're talking little things, mm -hmm. like basic things, inserting tools into our business. That's all we're talking about here. We're not saying that we went out and did something <laughs> crazy. No, no, no. We're, we're talking about little things that people are actually, here. AI is a perfect example yeah. mm -hmm. of how there's so many business owners that are like, ah, I don't know what to do with that. I don't want to do with that. I'm ignoring it, right? And it's like, could you imagine if you were a business owner that said that about the internet? Um, you died, you were gone, you're irrelevant. Like it, it, it doesn't work. And uh, I think that, you know, 
it's not about you, but it's about what your customers want. Now, your business and the tools in your business are about you being competitive. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that's important, because if you're not, you can't compete in the open marketplace and you will die. Mm -hmm. your, your business will go under. So you got to give technology and you got to grow and you got to change with the economy, whether that's, you know, 18% interest rates, whether that's COVID, whether that's the Great Recession, like people, we change, we adapt, we get new tools. And if you're not, you're, it's not only that you're not keeping up, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, you will die. Well, it's been interesting. Some of the facilities we purchased over the years, the mentality of some of the mom pop type owners yep. and what happened, I think about nine years ago now, there was a facility, you know, I went called on uh, up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And the gentleman that owned it was an older gentleman and um, he uh, liked doing things the old fashioned way. And when I went to his office the first time and there was a Yellow Pages book sitting on his doorstep, waiting a new one. And, uh, and I was looking at that and I got talking to him about it. He says, yeah, that's how we advertise in Yellow Pages. I remember looking at him thinking, okay, yeah, you're a facility I want to buy. It took us a while, a year or so, to get him to sell. When we bought it, we paid the same price he had paid when he had bought it 10 years before that. Here we are, 10 years later, it's quadrupled in value. Um, people hadn't had rate increases in eight years. Um, they had uh, just installed a website that was very, very, very arcane. Yeah. And he said his daughter had made him do that. Yeah. And um, had his, no functionality. Yeah, no functionality and yeah. everything like that. You couldn't have found it yeah. unless you knew yeah. the exact address to go to. Um, and so those kind of things. And it just shows what happens, whether it was back in, you know, uh, 97 in yeah. the insurance business or whether it was, you know, 2017 yeah. in the storage business. Over time, you got to just those things and AI is one of the upcoming ones we're looking at every opportunity to maximize and it's a balance between maximizing customer service and their needs and also using technology to give them a better 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 experience yes. better value and for us to control our costs and be able to make um, more money so people starting out in today I think so often they're waiting for the perfect time and they're waiting for you know, they all they do is they see barriers mm -hmm. and they think they're being told and they think that um, not only is this a bad time to start, but it's almost like it's unfair. Like everybody else in the past had it so much easier. And if I could just go back then, then I wouldn't have inflation or my income would have been higher or my jobs wouldn't have been, you know, taken by technology. Or you, you just hear it and it's like, you know, they... It's not that it's not hard. It's not that it's not a struggle. That's not what I'm saying. But it's the belief that for some reason it's their time and they're in the worst time and they're being picked on, right? And it was always easier. Um, and it means that it may they agree, yeah, oh, yeah, it was hard, but it, not like it is today, right? Of course not. Um, what do you say to people that are saying, I'm not moving forward. I'm not doing this. Like, how do you approach moving forward in uncertain times and also realizing that uncertainty is the name of the game? Yeah. That's how it actually works. Yeah. It's not that certain uh, certainty is the anomaly, yeah. not the rule, right? So how do you move forward? 
Um, that's a good question and an important point. People got to recognize and realize that things won't be the same all the time, whether it's interest rates at 18% or interest rates at 3 or 4% for mortgages or whatever. And that uh, the government giving out trillions of dollars in all sorts of ways. Those things stop too. And then inflation comes along to get it under control. And, and uh, so you just got to learn to move forward, sometimes in a faster way and a slower way, though, with these changes. But you just don't stop and yeah. don't do anything because those people that stop are the ones that actually miss the boat. Yes. You know, and I look back at, uh, you know, 10, 11 years ago when we got jumped into it in a big way and large storages, multiple states. And um, people weren't jumping into it in a big way. Still a little bit of a uh, old-fashioned business yeah. and stuff. Well, by doing what we did over that several years of finding good deals and buying them in multiple states has skyrocketed their value yeah. now. And in times of an extreme yeah. uncertainty, this was in a exactly. time of peril. Yeah, not not like it is today. It was peril. Yeah, it was just post uh, Great Recession, yeah. and uh, and as a result, looking back now, we had no idea it would uh -huh. as good as we we knew it was going to be. We good. thought it could take a decade for yeah. them to even get good. Yeah, and, yeah, no. and yeah, and so that's one thing you want to do again, and just make sure and avoid bad deals. Yes. Now, we've done phenomenal deals. We've done good deals. We've done okay deals. Yeah. Um, but one thing with our storages, I look back at all of them we have, and I wouldn't say anything's a bad deal. No. And it's just sometimes the timing and different things in the market and the pricing and interest rates that make them yeah. phenomenal and good. Uh -huh. But over time, they will end up being, it's a great yes. asset to be in, one of the best you can be in. 100%. Um, all right. Thank you so much for your time. The perspective, I think, is really, really important. And I think... Finding comfort in the unknown is the goal, not waiting to know and right. not expecting like things. So you shouldn't be like, I'm waiting till I'm comfortable because of the circumstances. You need to get comfortable with the circumstances. Right. So, um, and I think the more that we can remember that, the easier it is that these problems we have faced before, right? And we will face again. So it's not that this time necessarily it's different every time it's different, but the core issues are not, right? It may manifest differently, but it's not that different. Well, and I think too, AJ, between uh, my experience, your experience, and our team's experience, and the time we've been doing this in, that that's one thing we can bring as an asset or value yeah. to potential storage yes. investors or owners, is we can bring that experience to help them and decide what's good, what's bad, what's yeah. not, because it's not our first rodeo. Exactly. As a result, it minimizes chances of doing a bad deal. Yeah, 100%. It's you know the signals, you know yeah. what to look out for. And then two, importantly, you know how to structure it. So even if times get bad, you're okay. Exactly. So, well, thank you very much, Dad, you for bet. coming Thanks on. So much, Appreciate it. And, of course, we'll have you back on. Okay, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>